Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kiley. This is Before the Box Score, your so-long farewell edition. We're just going to talk about dudes leaving, not wanting to be part of the team anymore, because it's April. And that's what we talk about in April. We talk about roster management, and we talk about dudes leaving, because the transfer portal will open back up. A little magical window right after spring practices where guys can enter back in, so people are filling the void. And nature is working its course. BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right, because while we are talking about players that are leaving, we're not necessarily talking about, like, Dom Webbit leaving again. So I could be doing a lot worse given what we are discussing today. Sure. sure. Well, let's let's start with the nastiness. This might be a nasty show. I don't know how you all feel about roster management and huh. leaving your school, but, you know, let's get into it. Let's first talk about future Tigers who are no longer future Tigers. Okay? Let's talk about one Tion Gray. Hazelwood, who in one post said he was decommitting from the University of Missouri and committing to the University of Oregon. He was the coach of Oregon, Dan Lanning. Where is Dan Lanning from? Kansas City. So clearly that is not great. Tion Gray is one of the top 100 players in the country currently. He's a defensive lineman. He was a local boy. He's got just great storylines all over the place. And he decided to take his talents away from Columbia, take him to Eugene for now. BK, how do you feel about this story? I mean, it's frustrating, right? Because, first of all, it's an in-state kid. And anytime you can keep an in-state blue chipper in-state, you feel good about that. And anytime that you've got one of those guys that is committed early, you feel great about it because you're like, okay, cool. Recruitment's shut down. We're good to go here. And I'm not sure there's anybody in this entire recruiting class that has taken more visits to Mizzou than Tiangre. It feels like he was on campus every weekend last season. And so he takes this visit to Oregon and there's conflicting reports on whether or not this is like a big deal or not, right? If I was a recruit, and I can only speak for myself, I would be taking all of my visits. My official visits, I would be taking to USC, to Ohio State. Like, I would want to go see what's going on out there. I would want to go to these really cool campuses for free on somebody else's dime where they're going to wine and dine me the entire weekend, especially if I'm somebody the caliber of Tion Gray. So I get it. I would have no problem with him going out there and taking his visits. And then he decommits, and then he immediately commits to Oregon. I did see an interview and he basically said like, hey, this is an opportunity for me to grow my brand. I can go out there and like, I'm sure, and this is not a shot at the kid, like this is how recruiting is in 2023. I'm sure there's some NIL stuff that's attached to this. I'm sure he's going to get opportunities out there that maybe weren't available to him uh, by staying in state. That's all fine and good. It sucks. Like moral of the story, it's, it's a pretty big hit to Mizzou's recruiting class this year. He was a guy that you wanted to have on the interior of your defensive line. He's a real disruptor. He's late to call, to playing high school football. He has been really disruptive early on in his opportunities at Hazelwood Central. And so now you've got to replace something like that, and there's really no way to replace a four-star defensive tackle that you thought that you had in your recruiting class. All true. That's not great for optics. Recruiting is nothing but the PR arm of your PR arm, right? It's... That's what sports are good for, and recruiting is basically that. So it's not great to lose any blue chipper, especially one that committed to you, especially one that's local, like you said. I'd like to point out this is also recruiting in 2023. If you don't get him the first time, get him the second time. I know it's 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 not fun. It's easy to you know, say the, the sky is falling. It's easy to say, woe is me. It's easy to tweet at recruits and tell them they're going to regret it. Y'all, we've seen it. These guys come back around. They go to these blue blood schools, can't find a way onto the starting roster, and they come back. They go somewhere else. There's nothing bad about not getting them the first time, just like there's not that big of a deal getting them the first time because you also got to hold on to them. We don't know if he's going to be good. We're assuming he's going to be good because he's got a four stars next to his name. Okay, cool. We've also seen some tape. It's pretty good. Okay, cool. What does that mean for the college level? We don't know yet. And even if he's good, is he going to be able to start at Oregon? A school that's got great defenders, great defensive linemen? Is he going to be able to hack it out there? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. And then who's there waiting for him, baby? 
but the school that takes all those lost four chip boys who can't make it anywhere else on any other blue blood roster. That's that is what Missouri is good for. So for all of us, for for the, for the fans, if you feel like tweeting at him and, and and you know kicking dirt on him, don't. You're ruining it for the comeback. <laughs> if wish him well. We don't know y'all how this is going to play out. Hell, he could decommit from Oregon. He seems to be a kid who's a very, let's say, uh, he gets caught up in the moment sometimes. Do you remember the Sheldon Richardson recruitment story? Do you remember that, BK? Yeah, he committed to Mizzou when he went into the locker room after a win and said, I'm committing to Mizzou. And they were like, yeah. He goes to USC. He did the exact same thing. He After a big win, he said, I'm committing to USC. They're like, yeah. Like, this is what happens when you're 17 and 18. You get emotionally charged. You get caught up in the moment. Who knows how this is going to play out? It's April. Although the optics do suck that he left. Can I add something else? Let's go through real quick. Um, Maybe it won't be super quick, but let's go through the Missouri four stars. Let's go back to 2013. Let's go since then, all right? Nick Ramirez from Lee Summit didn't work out. Ezekiel Elliott, good player. Good player, ended up going on to have a productive NFL career. Chase Abington, didn't work out. Roderick Johnson was okay at Florida State. Rafe Peavy, you got a lot of Rafe Peavy memories at uh, at Arkansas, Nate? Brian Wallace was a perfectly fine college player. Uh, Monte Harris, Monte Harrison, I don't remember. Uh, Andy Bauer, nothing. Uh, Drew Locke. Really good college career at Mizzou. Marquise Doherty did very little. Uh, ended up mostly focusing on baseball, I believe. Khalil Davis, very good player at Nebraska. Alex Afadale did not do much of anything and then eventually transferred back to Mizzou. Still didn't do much of anything. A.J. Taylor, very good player in college. Trey Williams, mixed, yeah. fine. Yeah, really good at Arkansas. Uh, Roderick Campbell. Don't remember anything about him at Northwestern, so I can't speak to it. Skylar Thompson, pretty good. Solid. Good. Yeah. Javon McQuitty, fine. Chester he retired from football, actually, after two years, so, you know. Chester Graves didn't really end up having a college career. Academic issues. Dron Davis never ended up making it. Uh, Marquise Hayes, really solid player at Oklahoma. Trevor Trout never lived up to the hype. Michael Thompson did not live up to the hype. Mario Goodrich was solid. Ronnie Perkins, very good. Daniel Parker Jr. was fine, I guess you could say. A weirdo and a creep, but he was okay. Yeah, like an okay college football player. Dallas Craddath was solid. Cam Babb, injuries took his career away from him, unfortunately. Marcus Washington hasn't done much. Uh, Jameson Williams, stud. Isaiah Williams has been fine at Illinois. Jelani Williams uh, Can didn't stay. do much. Can stay, baby. Um, we've got Antonio Doyle, who has been in the portal already. Reggie Love. I haven't heard anything about him at Illinois. Mookie Cooper has been fine. Came Jordan Cameron. Johnson is yeah. okay at Notre yeah. Dame. Joe Moore has been fine so far in his collegiate career. Like, we're all the way to 2020, and we've had, like, three guys, four guys, five guys maybe that have had significant impacts. Yeah. Listen. I'm not here telling you that Missouri recruiting gets overhyped, but Missouri recruits might get a little overhyped. I can't explain why that is. I can't tell you why that is. But when I go through this list and I say, here are the four-star recruits, and this is in the last decade, there's not a whole lot of dudes that you say were can't-miss players. Whereas with like the basketball side of things, you can go through, and there's a lot of can't-miss players that Missouri missed out on. I just don't feel that way on the football side of things. Like, Missouri can probably go into Texas. They can go into Florida. They can go into Tennessee, something like that. Find a three-star and get a guy that can give you similar, if not better, college production to what you were going to get from Tion Gray. So that's a long way of saying, as much as we focus on in-state recruiting and you like to have guys that are in-state that commit to you, sometimes you can overdo it. And losing out on a kid just because he's in-state doesn't inherently make it a worse thing, so... I've heard mixed things from, you know, anonymous coaches talking about recruiting and saying this area is overrated or this area is underrated or if you want a running back, go to Dallas, Texas. If you want a wide receiver or quarterback, go to California. Like athletes you know, from Florida. Yeah. They all have like their little their little kinks, their little, you know, cheat codes that they like to do. I've heard again, anonymous sources be reporting, but like they say, you know, St. Louis recruiting like, it got really big in 2018 when Trevor Trout and Michael Thomas, like, all those guys 
hit it all at once uh, in St. Louis, and then everyone started over-recruiting and over-paying attention and over-hyping everybody after them because they were playing against those dudes. So they're saying there's going to be kind of a, a reconciliation, maybe a regression to the mean of, like, value of the St. Louis player. Not to diminish St. Louis because, look, we both live here. We love it. I love the football players there. But, like, yeah, there might have been some inflated ratings coming out of high school. and It's just we don't know. You never know. There's, it's all about probabilities. In the macro, it's accurate. On any individual basis, it's probably wrong. But, you know, it does, like you said, there there are storylines that suck. But, like, you just you never know. You never know what this sort of thing. So, again, it is April. There's a long way to signing in December. Who knows how this is going to twist and turn throughout the year. But we will keep track of it. And best of luck to Tion Gray. Hopefully you come back around and hopefully you're good. Continuing along with the theme of so long, farewell. Arrivederci. Let's talk about some dudes who are no longer on the football team. Because there's a lot of them. Especially after we left. I remember at the end of the last show, BK, like, hey, maybe we'll have some recruits to talk about. Well, no. We have some de- we have some transfers to talk about though, so let's do it. All right, let's go chronological order. I think I have everybody here. Let's start off with Gavin McKay, uh, a tight end who just never saw the field. BK, what was your favorite Gavin McKay moment? I don't think I have one. I, I was gonna I was gonna say like, did he take a snap at Missouri? Never took no? a snap. Okay, took a snap. Uh, he was a dude who was probably a little too light to be a tight end in the SEC. Probably more of a bigger receiver. Just did not have a spot for him in Eli Drinkwitz's roster. So he gone. The next guy who left, Luke Griffin. BK, I am sad for Luke Griffin's potential because I thought he could be great. A little overlooked because he got injured his senior year of high school. Was a four-star down to a three-star. I was like, all right, this, this is it. And then he couldn't beat out Xavier Delgado. How do you feel about this one? How does it feel? Yeah, this one's a bummer because in 2021, I actually thought he played pretty well. Um, and for whatever reason, he, he got some opportunities last year. They were limited, but he got opportunities nonetheless. And he just wasn't he wasn't very good, honestly. Um, I can't explain why that is. Like, it, it just, for whatever reason, didn't work for him at Mizzou. And I hope he goes on somewhere else. Like, I, there hasn't been any announcements yet on, as to where he's going, right? I didn't miss anything there. Not yet. Um I hope he goes to like a, a G5 team and just dominates because I think there's some skill there. And the dude is strong as an ox and he's huge. He's a mauler in the running game. Um, I think he could go on to be a good college football player somewhere. It just very clearly wasn't going to happen at Mizzou. Makes me sad because he had the pedigree and I was hopeful that it would work out for him at Mizzou. It just, it clearly wasn't going to happen. Like you said, he couldn't beat out Xavier Delgado and they're trying to replace uh, potentially Delgado was a starter on this offensive line, so he clearly wasn't going to get another opportunity. Yeah. Keep an eye on Georgia Southern. Uh, Clay Helton, USC's old coach, is there. He is a big fan of finding Power 5 cast-offs and putting him into his kind of pass-first, second, third offense, which I think Luke Griffin could do well there. Uh, Georgia Southern is pretty good. You know, you got Georgia State. He is a Georgia kid. Uh, but, you know, Florida Atlantic, Florida International, there are a lot of teams that like to scoop up these types of kids. Uh, and so I'm sure he's going to have plenty of offers. If maybe even at the power five level, I don't know, but I would have to guess G five is where he could really make a mark. Uh, and I hope that he can do that. So best of luck to Luke. Then we get to oh, file under the expected category, uh, heading into the off season, Missouri had seven scholarship running backs, which was too many, <laughs> especially with Eli Drinkwitz, who likes to play one or maybe two. You had seven. So I have mentioned it several times that I thought that attrition in the running back room was going to happen, and lo, here we are. The first one to uh, to exit, uh, at least once the new portal window opened, was Taj Butts, who, again, was a pet favorite of mine. Awesome name, excellent runner. I thought it was like, oh, okay, so Eli Drinkwitz likes a little scat backs. This is a big dude. This, is, this could be a different type of player that Eli Drinkwitz can use, and no, nope, can never see the field except for a couple passes. I'm again. All of this is just. I'm sad for potential, BK. I mean, the, it, it seems silly, but like we always want these guys to be more, and it's just it's just not happening here. So, the weird thing with Taj Butts is he looked like a different player physically when he got to Missouri than what I saw from him in high school. Um, I think he might have got a little too big. He was the problem. He was a guy that in high school had like real wiggle to him. 
And then he got to college, and it was like, whoa, that is a fullback that's out there right now. And he just, he wasn't the same guy. Uh, he didn't have the same speed. He was listed at 200 pounds. I'm going to say that was about 30 to 40 pounds light compared oh, to what we saw. Freshman year, he was 5'10", 232. Okay, that that sounds closer to the reality of yeah. what we saw. He he bulked up in a significant way. Um, I don't know if all of that was muscle. I I don't. I, I, I hey, listen. I went to Mizzou too, man. No shame. No shame whatsoever. I get it. It happens. Um, he Dobbs. But he just he got too big, man. And he wasn't the player that he was in high school. When I watched his film in high school at Smet, it's like, man, this kid's a stud. Like I, he was one of my favorites in that class, and it just did not work for him at Missouri. Uh, which unfortunately is kind of the theme with like all of the running backs that end up coming to Mizzou recently. Weird. Weird. Anyway, good luck, Taj. Uh, get your weight right. You are an awesome running back. You should be good. Then we get to a weirder one. We get to Ian Matthews. Now, let's let's remember the journey Ian Matthews took to get to Columbia. He was out of uh, Columbus, Georgia, commits to Auburn right out of high school, does not see the field for Brian Harson's Tigers, Transfers to Missouri with Eli Drinkwitz. Does not see the field with Missouri. And now he transfers again. So this is a weird one to me, BK. And again, I'm not Ian Matthews, so I don't know all the factors that go into play. But let's just look at this from a straight roster standpoint. Number one, dude's already transferred once. He is not a graduate student. So therefore, any transfer he does now, he must sit out a year. He's already taken his red shirt year. So he has three years to play, too, because he is leaving. He is actually sacrificing a year to do this. At the same time, you have, like, six defensive tackles who could potentially leave the roster next year, three of which have to leave. So there was a wide-open lane for him to stay here, get another year in the system, and basically be tabbed as your starting defensive tackle heading into 2024. Now, you might ask yourself, what's the difference between not seeing the field of Missouri because there's six dudes in front of you and playing in 24 versus not seeing the field somewhere else because you have to sit and then seeing the field in 24. Like, I get that the argument is the same, but to me it's just, without knowing all the factors for Ian and his family, it just seems weird. It does. Um, I would also say this was one of my questions whenever he came to Mizzou. Um, when you watched him in the limited film that was available – he he was clearly a project when he got here. I remember it was him and who was the other Auburn defensive line? Well, he never showed up. Right, but he, like, he ended up uh, staying at Auburn. I think he's training for this year, actually. Yeah, it was... Um, it was I, I, Marquise... Uh, God, nah, I'm not going to remember. Whenever. The other one. <laughs> the other one that didn't show up. Marquise Robinson, that's who it was. Robinson, there you um, go. When I watched him, I was like, oh. This is a power five player. M- Mizzou got a little something here. And then he just never arrived. It was like he announced, it was announced that he was going to transfer to Mizzou. And then it was like, nope, he's actually going to stay at Auburn. And that, whatever. Um, Ian Matthews, meanwhile, did show up at Mizzou. And when I watched him, I was like, so you got another developmental guy potentially on the defensive line. And he apparently, based on this decision, didn't develop in the way that they were hoping for, and now he's gone. So I hope he goes on to have success elsewhere, but um, it, I, I think this was always possible as an outcome when he was arriving at Missouri because when you take on a kid that you are just simply bringing in to develop, if it doesn't happen on your timeline and you need that scholarship for better use, typically the way that it ends up going. Yeah. Yep. It's good luck to Ian. And we get to the defensive backfield. And our lone four-star cornerback, feel like we never signed those, Marcus Scott out of Texas, did not see the field last year. Took a full, the full classic red shirt. And now he is hitting the transfer portal. Now, I get this one. You're sitting behind Chris Abrams' train, Dennis Rakestraw, Marcus Clark, who showed up literally a week before the season started and saw the field. And Drayden Norwood, who was a converted quarterback who became a cornerback, and you couldn't see the field with those four guys. Now, Marcus had, you know, four more years to play, but he had five years to do it. 
you could talk yourself into saying he should have stayed, but again, this is recruiting in 2023. If you want to play, you have the opportunity to play. So I am sad, again, for the loss of a potential, especially for a blue tripper like that, but at the same time, I feel pretty good about the corners that we currently have. Yeah, that that's the thing is, I, I know you're really big on this, and it's something that I think Missouri has done at times you could argue a poor job of which is if you're bringing in other transfers you have to consider what that does for your recruits when marcus clark and trevez johnson arrive on campus beginning of last year and then at the beginning of this new semester what does that mean for the other younger corners because now you're looking at it and it's like, all right, so you got Carnell who's likely to be gone at the end of this year. You've got Chris Abram Strain who is gone at the end of this year. Marcus Clark who could be gone at the end of this year. You've got Travis Johnson who could be gone at the end of this year. Okay, well, that's four of your corners. It's nice to have all of those guys this year. You're, you're thrilled about that. But what is the long-term plan at that position? And maybe it's just as simple as, well, we'll get the next transfer. Like, we'll go get the next Marcus Clark. We'll get the next Travis Johnson. And that's possible. And that's why roster building is different in 2023 than it was in 2013. But these are the kinds of things that you always have to keep in mind whenever you take on a transfer because pushing those younger guys down the roster further and further, especially along the depth chart, it does have long-term implications on what you're able to do. Yeah. It does. And maybe that's... Eli's going to be our portal boy. It's going to be the king of the transfer portal. And that's how we get fill out our team. Maybe that's going to be the case, but it is. It does seem weird that, and we've made we made these comments, you know, to each other. Like, why are you bringing in a, a transfer in that position? Like, when you could develop, and yet to really figure out the answer to that, other than the staff loves to bring in portal kids. So. Like D, D tackles another spot that I'm a little worried about. So, like serious. They, they have brought in so many of these guys and so many of them returned. And listen, they were really good along the interior last year. So I'm not mad about that by any stretch of the imagination. But like, how do you get Marquise Gracial on the field this year? Because that is a blue chip recruit from in-state that everybody was excited about. I don't know where his snaps are coming or if they're coming this year. And that, again, is not inherently a bad thing as long as Gracial is okay with it. If he's not, and it would be understandable if he's not, he could leave this year and say, hey, I was promised something at Mizzou. I'm not playing right now. I'm going to go get an opportunity elsewhere. And he's the type of kid that, uh, especially if like he sees the field a little bit this year and pops whenever he's on the field, he could get opportunities elsewhere. So I'm not trying to, like, put in his head or to to scare Mizzou fans to suggest that he's going to be gone. I, I haven't heard anything of the sort, but just as an example, that's another spot where you just, you look at the roster and you say, okay, it's really good. Like you like the players that you have there, but there's also some massaging that needs to take place. That is really important with younger players to be able to get on the field to develop and for them to feel like they're contributing. So they don't just leave and go elsewhere. Yeah. Brock Olivo. Our, our famous boy, our running back from the 90s, as his number retired, is recently added onto the staff. Big fan of the Twitter machine. He's been tweeting a lot about recruiting and stuff like that. I got a problem with what he's saying, though. And I, I, I don't want to come across as anti-Missouri or anti-this staff, but I'm going to call it when I see it. And he has had so many tweets put out. It's like, why would you be... Why would you want to go somewhere where you had to wait when you can go and be the first now? You can do it now. You can come here now and play now. I'm like, no, you can't. There's nothing about this staff that shows anybody that you can come in as a freshman and play. And I don't think he's tweeting that transfer portal kids. I don't think that's what he's talking about. It certainly didn't seem that way. He's talking about local kids coming right. out of high school, coming to Missouri, be the one of one, be the one that makes the change, start immediately. I'm like, no. That's not what this staff has shown. And maybe they just haven't found the kids who could do it. Maybe that's always your plan. You just haven't done it yet. But I don't know, man. That's not that's not what you can come here and get over recruited by a transfer portal. That's that's what we've learned so far. Well, who are the kids that have had that happen? Like Dominic Lovett, Makai Wingo. That was just doing a the quick list. glance in their recruiting class. I think that's it from twenty one. That got on the field like regularly as freshmen that year. Chris Abrams Drang, 
Ennis Rakestraw, Harrison Mevis, Chance Burden, Burden. Twenty was weird though. Twenty was like you had a mass exodus of players, and there was just opportunities everywhere. Um, twenty-two, Burden would have been the one guy that really saw extended time. Makai Miller saw some time. Yeah. Membu, they kind of created a position for him to get opportunities. Against their wishes, they put him on the field. Uh, that was kind of it. Yeah, that's it. Again, it takes a special freshman to play as a freshman. I understand that. And, like, you're not going to say, you know, you're, you're, you got to pitch something. I understand that. But it just, there's a lot of evidence against what he is trying to push right now. Yeah. But whatever. That's not how sales work. Uh, lastly, when this was from today, B.J. Harris, another running back, quarterly uh, and out. We saw a little bit of B.J. Harris. I think the most we saw of him was Louisiana Tech last year when he actually scored a rushing touchdown. But, again, Eli Drinkwitz, Curtis Looper, they play one, maybe two guys at running back. You had seven. B.J. Harris had, had seen time, enough time in the past two years that he's a junior, like a third-year junior. So this one makes all the sense in the world because it seems like the staff was not going to play him, and he's running out of time. So that's my hot take. Yeah, I I'm totally with you. I If you're a running back on this roster that is not named Cody Schrader, Tavoris Jones, or Nathaniel Pete, it's hard to say where your snaps are coming from. We we know how this staff goes. Like With Eli Drinkwitz, he's going to lean heavily on one running back. That's what he does. It, it's been that way the entire time that he's been at Missouri, and it's been that way for most of his time as a play caller elsewhere as well. So um, I... It, it would be hard for me to be a running back and be like, yeah, I'm fourth on the depth chart, fifth on the depth chart, whatever, and not want to go elsewhere. So, again, it's a lot of people leaving in a very short amount of time, but we all knew, we all should have known that this was very much a possibility that was going to happen. You get through spring training, you start seeing where you stand once all the departures from the previous year go, and if you're still not seeing time, then this is your chance to bolt, and I think it's totally fine. I will also like to point out this is not – this is not completely different than what we're used to. I know it's the optics again of losing a player. It just doesn't. It doesn't ever. Lo- it doesn't ever look good. You know, even if it's a, a guy that doesn't see the field or one that you just you don't even know their name. Like it, it feels bad. It feels bad as a fan that someone is leaving your team. I get that. I'd also like to point out that a thirty percent retention rate, I think, is what the two thousand twenty one class is currently at. Guys, that's the problem across the sport. The 2021 recruiting class in particular, that's the recruiting class that didn't, most of them did not play a football season. Most did not have in-person tryouts. The visits were via Zoom. Coaches didn't get to see these guys in person. They didn't get to see the campus. They didn't even play their damn sport in their senior year. So, yeah, there's going to be some misses. There's going to be some ill fits. There's going to be, well, I thought it was going to be this, and it's not that. It's I talked to this guy on Zoom for two hours, and he's a total dick in person. Like, these things happen. Also, they're 17, 18, 19 years old. You make uninformed decisions all the time. So it's different now. We always go back. 2023 is different than everything we've known before. Previous times, in previous years of college football, if you had guys who didn't see the field, they had to stay. Those were the rules. You couldn't leave. Now, for the guys who don't leave, the, the pieces that aren't even depth, they just leave. It's the same retention rate if you look at it as I'm not seeing the field versus I'm leaving. It's the exact same retention rate. Go back to Barry Odom's teams. If you go over a recruiting classes back then, if you had 32% of a recruiting class start, that was good. We have 32% of this class left. Okay, that's not great, but that's all you need. That's all you need. Pinkle's best classes had 48% starters coming out of it. And that's like the 2011, 2010, 2011, and 2013 classes. So this isn't any different. It's just different that the kids have the opportunity to leave instead of just being buried in the depth chart and never seeing the field. They have the option to leave, so they're going to go. This is not all that different. It is okay, even if it feels bad. You look at the class in 2021, and you look at the kids that were ranked in the top 10 for Missouri. Go do that at home, uh, friends. Go look up the top 10 players in the state of Missouri in 2021 and then look up the snaps that they have taken in the college level. I put it in the uh, the updated transfer oh, wow. portal in and out. 
you can see snap counts. It's low. It's low. It's not. It's not a lot. Let's just put it this way: Taj Butts was eighth on that list, <laughs> and my man Ryan Horskamp was eleventh. Connor Tollison was sixteenth. Ah, man, I don't want to be a dick. I I feel like this is going to come across that way. So just bear with me. It like I said, it it doesn't feel good when a player leaves. Also, look what they brought to the team. To BK's point, are you on the field? The vast answer here: No, no, you're not. Let me let me go back through. Let's let's just review real quick who has left so far. Okay, let's let's put them in buckets of transferring up, as in going from Missouri to like a blue blood team, doing a lateral transfer, like going from Missouri to another P5 kind of middle team, uh, transferring down, so going from Missouri to a G5 or an FCS, and then the ones who are still in the portal. So let's let's break this down real quick, okay? There is one guy who portaled up. It's Dominic Lovett. He went to Georgia. Okay. That's that's a bad loss for Missouri. I agree. Let's look at Zach Lovett, who went to Iowa State. Jack Stonehouse, who went to Syracuse. Trajan Jeffcoat, who went to Arkansas. Are you going to miss those guys? Eh, you'll probably miss two of them. Zach Lovett was on the field a little bit. And obviously, other Power 5 teams found value in those guys. So, like, okay. But those are three. Okay, so we got four guys total who either portal up or portal, portal laterally. Then you have literally everybody else. Davian Sistrunks at Murray State. Travion Forza at Toledo. Tyler Macon, Alcorn State. DJ Jackson, Texas State. Jelani Williams and Devin Nicholson, Kent State. Hiram White's at SMU. Toski Doves at Memphis. Elijah Young's at Western Kentucky. Daniel Robledo's in Northern Arizona. I'm sorry, are you are we crying over Daniel Robledo? Are we crying about Travian Ford who couldn't see the field in two years? Are we crying about a quarterback who's maybe starting at Alcorn State? Maybe not? Are we really upset about that? And I'm not trying to disparage these guys. Like, it's it's a weird class. It's a weird time. Ratings might not have been accurate, and it's something sometimes these things don't work out. But to to be gnashing your teeth and being upset about that kind of player who's going to those kind of schools, I'm sorry, just from a, a pure economic standpoint, I am not upset about it. That's so that's all. I, I think that everything you're saying is fair and reasonable. I think the tough part though is like, okay, so we're losing these guys that aren't contributing. But the top end of the roster is also not as good as it should be given what the recruiting rankings and the recruiting prowess has been over the last few years and this goes into the program building questions that we have had and continue to have under the Eli Drinkwitz tenure which is okay you have proven at this point that you can get to a certain level or you can take over a program at App State which is already running incredibly well and you can keep it, retain it. You can keep it at that level that it was at previously. Can you build it? Can you bring in the talent, develop that talent, and then get the most out of that talent, both schematically and intuitively, like mentally? Can you get them to buy into what you are selling and to all be pulling in the right direction, the same direction, and have both the short and the long-term outlook all going at the right time? Those are all really big questions, and they're questions that frankly have not been answered either way yet by Eli Drinkwitz. We are now in year three of his tenure at Mizzou, and so far it's been a 500 program going into year four of his tenure at Mizzou. And he's 500 as a coach so far here. I, I just... I think that's what's hard for a lot of Mizzou fans as they're seeing. And I know, Nate, we're on the same page here with them, which is like, okay, the transfers that are leaving aren't big contributors. That's fine. And that means that you're not losing a ton of talent from the roster that is expected to contribute this year. But also, can I see, like, some of the progress? Can I see tangible signs that, like, this is getting better and that there is a clear and decisive vision of what it's going to be? I saw it last year defensively. But I know Eli Drinkwitz isn't in charge of the defense. That's Blake Baker's domain. So, like, when am I going to see the payoff of this offensive genius that was brought in to recruit? Because the guys that he's recruiting from the high school level aren't really contributing, and the offense that he was supposed to be the genius behind isn't producing. So there's a 
there's something that's not connecting here and that's what makes it really difficult to like buy in while also understanding what's happening right now with the uh the portal is is not as big of a deal as i think some make it out to be i i think eli drinkwitz offensive genius he's fired he's dead r.i.p whatever that was 2015 to 2020 that dude does not exist he is never going to be that at missouri so he needs to pivot and he did a great job of finding blake baker he created an identity on defense thank god finally Going to be an aggressive, havoc-oriented defense. That's what we're going to do. Okay. He, Eli Drinkwitz, offensive guru, is not going to save this Missouri offense. And I think he finally figured that out last during the offseason. That's why he hired Kirby Moore. So, the answer to your question better be Kirby Moore. Provides that identity. Provides whatever this offense is going to be. Because Eli's not going to do it. And so now we have stripped out offensive guru from Eli Drinkwitz, and we are left with Pitchman. And the recruiting classes, the high school recruiting, not great. Now, I don't think that's all his fault. Two of his classes were COVID classes. Well, he had the first one in 20, which was just scramble and salvage. 21, we've already talked about. 22 was also funky, too. So I'm going to give him a pass, but I'm also going to point out that the high school recruiting is not nearly as good as we thought it was as we were going into it. I will say the portal recruiting, excellent. The the team, your own team recruiting, elite. But I think there's gaps in high school, and I think he's trying to cover it with transfer portal. And so far, he's been able to do that. Um, and you can you can get away with that, I think, in our modern game with, with all the rules that we have. But he is not the elite recruiter for high school talent that we thought he was, and he's not the offensive guru that we thought he was. So now he needs to be the portal king, and he needs to have Kirby Moore create that identity because, yeah, we don't have one on offense while we now have one on defense. That's also a super high-variance way to go about it. Oh, absolutely. That, that's the other thing is, like, when you are able to recruit and develop and you sustain that, like, that is your formula, I mean, that could work for years and years and years. It is tried and true. If you're able to bring the guys in and you can develop them and you've got it ready to go, it is that conveyor belts of having the talent ready to go right it's what georgia and alabama have done and i'm not comparing mizzou to them like you can't <laughs> be that that's never going to happen but that's just the highest standard of what we're talking about here where you've just got guys ready it's like the the tarmac you just got guys ready to go at any given time where they're ready for takeoff but mizzou is not that it's not it's not going to be that but we saw under gary pinkle that it can be some kind of like lower level of that type of a program if you do it the right way what they appear to be doing is almost the transfer portal version of what calipari did at kentucky on the basketball side of things which is if you get the right guys man it could pay off to a exceptionally high degree we saw that with the defense last year like they basically hit on every single player they brought in and you saw the results it could be great. If it all comes together, man, is it awesome. But what if they missed on a couple of those guys last year? Like, what if DJ Coleman just wasn't good? What if Tyron Hopper, there was a reason why he wasn't getting opportunities at Florida, and maybe it was something off the field, and they just didn't catch in their eval of him, and he, just, he wasn't a guy that was committed. This wasn't the case, obviously, but if you go down this path of Coleman not being a contributor and Tyron Hopper not being into it the way that we thought that he was and they needed somebody else to start for them at, at linebacker. Defense looks a whole lot different last year, doesn't it? Sure. Suddenly we're talking about that unit as being fine. Like nothing more, nothing less, but just a fine defense for an SEC level. That's what can happen when you rely on this too heavily. And on the offensive side of things, I think that's what we've seen, which is, okay, you bring in Tyler Stevens to be a starting caliber tight end for you. He's not that. You bring in Bincy Polgar to be your starting center last year. He wasn't eligible. Hopefully you bring in Theo East this year to be a guy that can really take you off to the next level in terms of taking the top off the defense. We'll see. But in the past, they brought in some of these wide receivers and been mixed results at best. That That is, that is the the risk in building this way is if you aren't hitting at like an 80 to 90% clip, man, things can go sideways really fast. Yeah. It's just like the old, uh, the Juco problem from the, the old years. 
where you litter your team with a bunch of two-year players and you have to litter them with two more because uh, you're not you're not doing the development of high school. So I don't know. I I am I am curious kind of the philosophy behind this. I will say to help with identifying poor old players, that's the beauty of skiing because you are looking for specific things. And if they can show that, they don't have to be the former blue chipper. They don't have to be the guy who does everything well. They got to do three things well. And I, boy, that's a lot easier to find. That's a lot easier to get than, you know, just the all-around stud. And I'm not saying that's how they did it last year, but they, they brought on some high-profile dudes uh, onto the team. And we weren't sure what exactly it was going to look like, but the scheme let them be aggressive, let them be good. You got to do that on offense. Because like you said, what was Tyler Stevens' point? <laughs> like, we had, we had we had a walk-on starting against Louisiana Tech because we didn't have, you know, the, the, the transfer we brought in wasn't going to be cutting it. It's just you got to find something. And it doesn't sound like Kirby Moore's offense is all that different than drinks, but if there's a style, there's a scheme, there's a, a aggressiveness or a way they do things, then recruit to that and find guys who can do that. So it needs to be fixed. And no, I'm not crying about the losses so far. The staff did bring them in, but there are some funky kind of uh, context that you have to put into that recruiting. So that's it's, the thing. It's like it's all weird. of this is just the transfers are uh, the names that are in the transfer portal. None of this is about them specifically. It's more about philosophically, like what all of this represents for Mizzou. And I think that's the far more interesting conversation about where this team is at because, like, I really like what the defense looks like going into this year. I mean, I think they have a chance to be, like, potentially one of the better ones that we've seen in recent years if they're able to figure out what to do at defensive end specifically. On offense, I've got serious questions about the offensive line. I don't know that they have a, like, game changer in any significant way at running back, and I have no idea what they're going to be doing at the quarterback position this year. So, like, that, that is the side where you just, you don't know. You don't know. And it, it all kind of comes back to this because, I mean, you look at what's starting at offensive line, wide receiver, and quarterback, and potentially even running back this year, it's all transfers. Yeah. Yeah. Or you hope that the four-star that you brought in just magically got better over the offseason. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. And, well, that's not great. But... I am excited about the defense. I'm excited what Kirby Moore can do with these pieces. Maybe Theo Weiss is good. Maybe Dennis Jackson is good. I feel like Luther Burden is going to thrive in the slot. Uh, just give me someone who can run the ball, both for for efficiency and for explosiveness. That's that's all I'm asking. Give, give me another Tyler Beatty. That's all I ask for. Uh, but we will. I, I, I want to end this on maybe uh, not like the light note, but like a more fun kind of evil sports talk note. Did y'all hear what Trajan Jeffcoat said the other day in Arkansas? Uh, if you didn't, he bas- he said in so many words that Arkansas was a better, you know, the University of Arkansas had a better college town than where he was previously, which uh, was Columbia, Missouri. First and foremost, shut up. Come on. Arkansas, you love our leftovers more than anybody else. So I don't, whatever. As far as Trajan Jeffcoat goes, uh, well, more like Trajan Turncoat. Huh? I'm kidding. Here's the thing, Trajan. You want to go to South Carolina, and then they said no. Uh, so I, I'm glad you're happy in Arkansas. Uh, I know you wanted to come back, and the, and the staff said no. That's the other thing. Like they're, they're Not all transfers are the same. The staff did not want them to come back. So if there are hurt feelings, I get it, man. Like, I... If you got a shot to take at your old staff because they didn't want you around, I think that's fine. But, you know, here's the problem, though. you got to understand you are an athlete. Not only are you an athlete, you're an SEC football athlete. Okay? When you say things like that, you get repercussions. I I don't... If you got, like I said, if you got an axe to grind, that is fine. The coaches did you dirty, that's fine. But trash talking an entire city because it didn't work out at a school seems a little sour grapes to me. So I, not that he has a PR person, but if he does, I'd say Trajan next time, just say, I think Fayetteville's beautiful. Next question. I actually kind of like this. And the reason why is very simple. Mizzou and Arkansas are not a rivalry. 
It's not a real rivalry. It's fake. And they've got a fake 700-foot-tall, don't look this up, it's, I'm pretty sure this is true, uh, trophy to represent it. It's all artificial. They are overcompensating with the trophy to make up for the fact that all of this is fake. It's It's all fake. None of this is real. And so, in order to make it real, you need stuff like this. You need stuff like Trevon Brazil, Mizzou's really good freshman <laughs> basketball player, going to Arkansas and calling out Mizzou fans. And Mizzou fans be like, dude, really? Like, what? why? What are you doing here? We did nothing but, like, appreciate you while you were at Mizzou. And then this year he tears his ACL. And this is where it gets really nasty, but it's the reality of a college um, rivalry. Fans were, like, excited about the fact that he tore his ACL. Now, it's a vocal minority. I understand that. But... And you don't want that, but that is a byproduct of what is a real rivalry. And I think on the basketball side, it's kind of getting there because of Eric Musselman, because if Mizzou ends up being better in, in future years, like that will be a real rivalry in the not too distant future. The football side can become that, but it's got, it, it needs more stuff like this. Arkansas and, needs to win more games. Just hello. Agreed. And frankly, it would be really nice if Mizzou was a little better too. And the games were meaningful at the end of the season. Like, if you have both of those teams going into that game with a chance to go, like, 9-3, and 10-2, something like that at the end of the year, that's when it becomes real. Because those, like, you think back to the KU games with the border war, and a lot of those games weren't good and weren't meaningful. But when they were, that's what builds the rivalry. Those are the games that we really remember. You go back to 07, like, that is a rivalry with real history and real stakes. That's when it becomes something interesting. So stuff like this, I think I would rather have more of it, not less of it. I appreciate that Trajan Jeffcoat opened his mouth here and kind of stepped in it a little bit. I got no problems with it. I'm happy for him. I just want even to though be he's happy. wrong, even though he's incredibly wrong on this. I just want him to be happy. I will say this, and may, this is oh, here. I'll I'll open my mouth and step into it. How about that? I don't think college towns are any different from any other college town. Okay. At its, at its core concept, the only difference sure. between college towns is, did you go there? Also, backdrop. Like, backdrop matters as well. Like, what, what area of the country are you in, right? Are you, like, Boulder, Colorado, pretty incredible college town. Why is that? Mountains. Well, because it's in the mountains. <laughs> like, same for BYU, same for West Virginia. The University of San Diego. Pretty nice backdrop. You know why, Nate? Because uh, it is in San Diego. San Diego's nice. San Diego State's campus. No, the University of San Diego, the one where uh, Jim Harbaugh was when he first started. Oh, the Toros? Like, the actual yeah, university. Okay. Uh, it is gorgeous. Beautiful, beautiful campus. Okay. Why is that? I don't know. Maybe because it's in San Diego. Got a little bit to do with that. Um, What is it? I always, FAU is the one that, uh, that Lane Kiffin was at. Boca, yep. Pretty nice campus. I wonder why. Because a lot of retirement cool. money. Yeah. Like, yeah. Some of this stuff isn't hard to explain. I think that's the biggest difference is just yeah. where you're at locale-wise more so than anything else. Yeah. I One of the most disappointing moments of my life was I got tricked into going to Lawrence, Kansas. Um, I thought we were not doing that, but we went. And we went downtown, and I was looking around like, man – Anybody who's not from Missouri or Kansas could not tell the difference between Lawrence and Columbia. Those most, you, I'm not touching that one. Unless, unless, like, again, unless you're part of it, you could absolutely tell a difference. I could tell a difference. But just from a macro, it's like we're the same freaking people, the same freaking city. We just got different colors and, like, different, like there was no discernible difference. What, you were going to point out the bars? Everyone's got their own bar scene, okay? You want to talk about the student body? Great. College kids are cool. Next, yes, it is where it's located, but like the actual establishments, who, who cares? You like yours, and that's it. So, I think all college towns are great. Uh, I still think Kansas and Arkansas can shove it, and I hope a meteor hits them and they all die. Also, Gainesville sucks. I've never been to Gainesville. Don't. don't you, it's, I hear it's easy to miss. Don't don't go to Gainesville. Skip that road trip. Go to uh, Knoxville, Tennessee instead. That would be my. I like Knoxville. I went to Knoxville when I was ten. Knoxville's fantastic. Smoky Mountains are great. That see this. This is again going back to my point of it's about the back. Go to school in the mountains. Yeah, that's 
That's the rule. Mountains <laughs> or beach. Find, find one of those two or go to Mizzou. Like, those are your three options. You either go to Columbia, which is in the middle of the country, or go to the mountains, go to the beach. One of those three. So next NIL opportunity is to make mountains in Columbia, Missouri, so that BK can be happy that he went there. That's the rule. That's right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Wow. This was a long show. And all we did was talk about people leaving and how mountains are cool. That's that's pretty peak off season. Uh BK, hit me with your final thoughts. Yeah, one final thing. Um, I'm wearing my all juice team shirt today. Uh for my buddy Therese Paler. Uh rest in power to Therese. They actually released a new shirt today. If you're not familiar with Therese Paler, um, he was a Chiefs beat writer for a long time, also covered the University of Missouri uh, for a short period at the Kansas City Star, did an excellent job there. That's where I first came across him. I was covering Mizzou in Columbia at the time. He was with the Star. Uh, we covered a bunch of events together. He became a dear friend of mine. Um, Therese, uh, unfortunately, passed a couple of years ago now, and in order to keep his memory, his legacy going, um, he went to Howard University. They have started a scholarship there in his name. Uh, as the Therese Paler Legacy Scholarship. If you go buy the shirt, they're awesome. They just released a new one uh, earlier today. Just Google Therese Paler All Juice Team t-shirt. It'll come up there for you from the breaking tee. Uh, a portion of the proceeds from that actually go to the scholarship. So um, you're contributing to an incredible legacy. Uh, we miss Therese dearly. Um, but yeah, that's all I wanted to say was just, Hey, we miss him and you can help carry on his legacy by going out there and getting a badass t-shirt in the name of Therese Paler. The old juice team actually came out today on Yahoo sports. So if you want to go check that out, it's a, uh, it's an old draft thing that he did. Uh, it was one of my favorite things that I read from him every year. So, uh, check out the old juice team, go get yourself a t-shirt, go in style as the, uh, the NFL draft is just around the corner. That's right. And Kansas city. That's right. And I hear I hear the shirts are very comfortable too. So incredible. Well, one of my favorite t-shirts. They've got hoodies over there. If your wife wants one, uh if you're a woman listening to this, your your husband, your boyfriend, your kids, whoever it is, they've got all kinds of options over there. Uh hoodies, t-shirts, uh, they've got the tanks, like they've got all kinds of stop options for you. And like I said, it's all going to an incredibly great cause. So go get yourself one over there. Absolutely. Well said. And that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment. You can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. Subscribe, like, all that sort of thing. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rock and Flagship at Rock and Nation and our podcasting outlet at Rock and Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll do better next time. Until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.